that. I want to invite you to join me in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 3. In Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, we uh, kind of bounce beyond, in uh, chronological sense, the uh, arrival of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, and we look at uh, John the Baptist, uh, because I think he has something to teach us today about Advent, about waiting, about uh, the coming of uh, King Jesus. So we're going to look at his message. Uh, got a little bit of reading to do today uh, as we look at John, excuse me, Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 uh, through 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Euterea, and Trachonitus and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Jesus said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will, be, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we'd learn from this man who lived so many years ago, who lived a life of passion, of faith. God, I pray that we would learn from his message, that we'd hear the urgency, the weightiness of his message. And we'd begin to reflect on what that means for our lives today. Pray your blessing over your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been to um, uh, maybe a holiday meal, Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas, whatever? And maybe if you're uh, a big family like I did, uh, a lot of folks there. And, and maybe this is your experience, that there, there might be one who, who kind of comes in and you'll extend pleasantries. But over the next few hours that you're there, you're going to make sure that you're not caught alone in a room with them 
having to engage them in conversation. Because whatever the conversation is, they haven't, learned, they haven't quite got the memo that you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion. They're going to dive right in, talk about the controversial things. And not only that, they expect you to have a response. They expect you to, to give them some feedback. Well, what do you believe on these matters? They, they expect you to take a side. This basically is John the Baptist. Um, he is uh, a character in the Bible that uh, perhaps you would not much want to hang around in some respects. Um, uh, Fleming Rutledge said, who among us would tolerate John the Baptist for even a few moments? Uh, because he, he was just, he was weighty, he was controversial, he was in your face, he was fiery, uh, he wore uh, camel's hair, he ate locusts and wild honey, and he wanders around the desert calling people a brood of vipers, baptizing people, uh, and he was always uh, in the thick of it with the Pharisees, with the scribes, with the religious elite of his day. So perhaps uh, we would, if we were in a house with him and it were the holidays, perhaps we'd find a room. Uh, we we kind of want to, you know, eat our pumpkin pie. We want to watch some football. want to uh, have some laughs. And so we want to avoid those weighty conversations. But today I want to kind of invite you out of the TV room. Uh, let's walk out on the back porch where John the Baptist sits by himself and let's engage him in conversation. Let, let's see what he would say to us about Christmas, about Advent, about the coming of King Jesus. So today, four Advent lessons from John the Baptizer. Lesson number one is very simple. The king is coming. The king is coming. The kingdom is at hand. John's core message was simple. God's kingdom is here. All the gospel writers weigh in and uh, give uh, uh, descriptions of John the Baptist, of his message in Matthew chapter 3. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, I'm going to step out on a limb here and say that probably wasn't his entire message, because uh, we all know he had 30 minutes to fill, right? So uh, that probably wasn't his entire message. The point of saying that is that is his core message. That is the main thing that he wanted to say to them, is that God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. So this is the heart of his message, and he had a single-minded focus to make that announcement, to draw out the implications of that message. Not just to say, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand, but to say, here's how it impacts your life. Here's what it means for you and for the way that you live your life. He had a single-minded focus and devotion to this calling placed upon his life. So in the Gospel of John, uh, when uh, the Gospel writer begins to describe John the Baptist, he says in John chapter 1, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. But John the Baptist was a man sent from God with this important message to carry to the ancient world. So uh, th this was something that happened a lot in those days where uh, you would have uh, you know, a village and a king would say, hey, I'm going to go visit that town. I'm going to go over here to this geographic region, to this area. And of course, they, they couldn't pick up the phone and call. They couldn't uh, put out a, a news bulletin uh, and put it on social media or anything like that. 
you'd have to send out a messenger with that news into those villages that the king would come and visit. So uh, this is how John saw himself. He saw himself as someone who was sent, a messenger sent from God out into the world with this important message that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. I don't think that was just a calling for him. I think part of what we might learn from him, part of what we might learn from the Bible, is that that is true of all followers of Christ. We are sent from God. Uh, John the Baptist was sent, and so are we. We're sent to make this announcement to the world, and that ought to be our focus. Now, here's what makes uh, John's message so uh, in, in many ways, what, what makes him as a person uh, such a, perhaps uh, a bit of a, a scare to us is that he didn't just say the message, he lived out the message. We all know there's a difference, you know, it, getting that time of the year again, you know, January 1st is coming where we all start making resolutions and we all start talking about, you know, uh, what, uh, what we're going to do with exercise and diet and things of that nature. And we, uh, you can just kind of imagine we're all gathered around the table and we're all having that conversation while we're eating donuts or whatever. And, um, and in walks John the Baptist and he's all sweaty and, John, where have you been? Just coming back from the gym. And then he comes in and he eats locusts and wild honey and, and whatever that means. Um, and just his presence. He could talk about the same thing with us, but the fact that he lives it out is convicting to us. That this is not just something that we ought to talk about. How many of us have talked a lot of talk in our Christian walk, okay? But when it gets time to live it out, we struggle and we think that is just the way it is. That's just the way it is. There's nothing that can be done about that. And Zeal, who is doing what God had for him, uh, they have a simple message, and it is, do your job. Um, you know, job. Do your job. If we were to have a sign that we were to put, do what God is calling you to do, because when we stand before God one day, he is going to say to some of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Just like the master who went out and he, he gave his wealth to some of his servants and he gave uh, five bags of gold to one, he gave two bags of gold to another, gave one bag of gold uh, to yet another servant, and then he left for a long time. And uh, when he returned, the guy who had five bags of gold came to him and said, hey, I, I got that five and I, I've got five more now. And the guy who had two said, hey, I took that two and I've got two more now. But the other who just had one said, I was afraid. I was afraid, and so I just hid it, and I still have this one. The master looked favorably upon the first two, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. But the other one was cast out into outer darkness. Why didn't he take what God had given him and do something with it? It says he was afraid. He was afraid. What we find in John the Baptist is someone who is not afraid. Someone who goes to his death proclaiming, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. No matter what happens to him, he just preaches and gives out the message that God has given him. And my question for you today is what difference is your life making for the kingdom? Are you a threat to the kingdom of darkness? Are you someone that the devil has to strategize about at all because you're, doing, you're being faithful to the Lord, you're carrying out his message in your life? 
What difference are you making for the kingdom? If God, ans- if God answered your prayers, what good would that do for the kingdom? And so what did you think about that? We pray a lot of prayers. We think a lot of things. Uh, but if you were to have God answer your prayers, would it just mean that you were healthy, wealthy, and wise? Or would it mean that someone came to actually know Christ because you're praying for them? And not only are you praying for them, you're working for them. You're like praying, hey God, send resources down because I'm going to use that. I'm going to carry it out and I'm going to carry out your mission. Say, what kind of resources you need? Boldness, right? Paul, who uh, had, had to be one of the most fearless men in all of the Bible, when he got to the church at Ephesus, he said, pray that I would be bold. Ephesians 6, pray that I would be bold in proclaiming the mystery of Christ. Lesson number two. Lesson number two, be prepared and prepare the way. Going back over to Luke chapter 3, it said that, it says that John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. You should wonder why people uh, would come to listen to him at all. Such a cheerful man. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So the next part of John's message was to prepare. Prepare the way of the Lord in ancient times when a king would go to a village, not only would a messenger go out and say, hey, uh, make straight paths and prepare the way uh, for uh, the coming king, what that actually meant was that they were going to have to do some work to make their village, their town, sparkle a little bit because guess what? you got company coming. How many of you, uh, when someone's coming to your house, you, maybe you got uh, the holidays coming up or whatever, how many of you do a little work inside the house, outside the house, to prepare because guess what? Someone's coming to your house. Okay, some of you do, right? Some of us do. Some of us are scurrying around like crazy, right? Uh, but the reality is uh, the same kind of dynamic took place in the ancient world when a king would come. They would go out. They would, they would make straight pathways. They would smooth out the roads. They would make it to where it was easy travel into their village because everybody wanted to gather around and see the spectacle of the emperor entering in to their village. John says, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, I don't think he means for us to go out here on I-35 and get to work, although that would probably be helpful. Um, I think what he means is what he attaches to the beginning of his statement, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. How do we prepare? We actually, actually repent, which does not just mean feeling sorry for something that you've done. Okay, that's like level one, okay, that you're grieved over it. Um, I think the reason he, was, he had such contempt, he said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The problem was they were coming out there and it had become just a cultural phenomenon where you go out, you hear John the Baptist, man, listen to that guy, he's on fire. Listen to all the great mighty things he said. Now, now come on, y'all, let's go, let's go get baptized because that was kind of the thing to do perhaps. 
And so his problem with them was that they were coming out and they were going through a baptism of repentance without actually repenting. You brood of vipers, who, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So number one, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Number two, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance does not just mean that you feel sorry for something you've done. It means that you actually reorder and reorient your life after Christ to do what God has called you to do. It's not just that you're supposed to seek first his kingdom. It's that you're supposed to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And these things will be added to you. Does God care about your luxury items? Is God impressed with you developing your golf skills when you don't even know how to articulate the gospel? Come on now. If we know how to swing a golf club and we don't, and we, well, I don't really know how to share the gospel, then what are you doing with your life? What are you spending your time doing in this life if you know how to do one but not the other? Did you hear about the scandal in Saudi Arabia? There's a big scandal uh, in Saudi Arabia. Um, Saudi authorities have conducted their biggest ever crackdown on camel beauty contestants that received Botox injections and other artificial touch-ups. The state-run Saudi press agency reported Wednesday with over 40 camels disqualified from the annual pageant. I hope you didn't have your money on one of those. But as crazy as that sounds, the purse is $66 million dollars. million. And we look over there, we laugh, man, look at how they're wasting their money. And then we'll go home and we got like 55 sports channels that we have to watch each and every one. What's the difference? I mean, really, what is the difference? Over there they have camels, we have deflate gate over here. Home for us. When John the Baptist looks at us and says, you brood of vipers, you bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's a different word. It's offensive to us. How are you living your life for an eternal purpose? Rather than just living for retirement, are you living with eternity in mind? John is intolerable because we are reminded how much of our lives we are wasting on trivial things, and he just won't stand for it. We walk into uh, the house and we've, we've got all of these gadgets and gizmos and things that we want to talk about. And here's John the Baptist coming fresh in off the mission field, sweating, worn out, exhausted. And it just sounds so silly to talk about some of the things we want to talk about in the presence of someone who's so weighty, who's got gravitas, who's moved by the Spirit of God to carry out the mission of God. Lesson number three. Lead people to Jesus. Advent is about leading people to Jesus. Advent, the word, of course, means coming, uh, arrival. Um, what, is, what lesson are we supposed to learn from Advent? We're supposed to learn, in part, to lead people to Christ. Turn over with me to John chapter 1 for just a moment. We read earlier from John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. But there's a phrase a little bit later on in chapter 1 that is arresting. 
In John chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Okay, so here comes the theology police. They're about to get on to John the Baptist. Verse 20. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you a light of those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. So let me just stop right there for a moment and draw out for us the way he understood himself. This is why I am here on this planet. This is why I'm sent. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is not just the job of a pastor or a minister or a missionary. This is the job of all of us collectively to go out as an army and launch a kingdom movement in this world. Follow in the path of Christ in the example of John the Baptist in this situation. He continues on, John, uh, excuse me, verse 24. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one, you, Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So John is baptizing a baptism of repentance. People are coming out and, and tax collectors, he's saying, you know what, uh, stop taking money from people. Uh, with uh, the Roman soldiers, he, he gives them something. To, he gives tangible things that they can do in their life, tangible changes that he thinks in his mind is bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. But then as we come to John chapter 1 and verse 26, he says, I baptize with water, John replied, but, and listen to this phrase, just catch your heart, easy to read over it. Among you stands one you do not know. In other words, he's in your presence. He's, he's on the scene. You just hadn't, he just hadn't been brought to your attention yet. John the Baptist, I think he had an idea that something was going down. The Messiah, he's going to baptize with the Spirit and with fire. And he gives this famous saying a little bit later on. He says, he must increase, I must decrease. Because in those days, John the Baptist was a hot ticket. Everybody's going out to the desert. Everybody's listening to him. But he knows Jesus is coming. And he knew part of his ministry was that he should decrease. Jesus should increase. And that was part of the goal of his ministry. Part of the goal of all of our ministries is for Christ to increase, for people to take their eyes off of us and see the Lord, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be a spotlight on the light of the world. That is our job, is to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. At one point, John the Baptist even had some of his own disciples, and he moved them to go and to follow after Jesus. It says in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day, John, man, if there, there's a meaning for your life, it's to tell people to look, behold, see Jesus your mission is to show the one I meant when I said a man who baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. His entire, because he's among them, you just don't see him. He's among you, you just don't see his glory. Verse him, but the one who sent me to the Holy Spirit, I have seen and I test. Why? Because that's what the Spirit did. The Spirit came down upon the Son 
in that moment of baptism and magnified the sing by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed, just pointed his own followers to Jesus. Being under your influence ought to lead people to Jesus. If you are a leader in, a, in the business world, in the educational world, uh, at school, wherever you are in your family, uh, being under your influence, being in your circle of influence ought to mean that you are influencing people to Christ, to lead them to Christ, to become obedient followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, we come to lesson number four. Lesson number four, live with a confident hope in Christ. And for this, we turn back over to our main text today in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Live with confident hope in Christ. In other words, the goal of your life ought to be, as you trust in Christ, you deny self, you pick up your cross, and you follow after Christ. Nicholas Ludwig Count von Zinzendorf. Now, with a name like that, you know whatever quote I'm about to give is going to be good, all right? I'm just glad I got that out. The first service thought I was speaking in tongues. But anyway, here we go. He said this, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Why? Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about any of us. It's about, hey, you've got a job to do. Be faithful to do what God's calling you to do. Don't, don't, don't worry about, well, will Herod like this? What, what will people think if I actually say to them, you brood of vipers? I mean, John the Baptist wasn't worried about any of that. His job was to preach the message God had given him, and then he was going to die, and then he was going to move on into God's glory. Be forgotten. You're not going to be comfortable with that unless you live a life of self-forgetfulness. If you believe the king has arrived in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has defeated death, then you live with eternity in mind, again, rather than retirement. Richard Baxter said, the great reform preacher, he said, I preached as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. As someone who said, hey, this might be my last day. I don't know that I'm going to get another chance to do this. I don't, I'm not going to have another shot at this day. So I'm going to preach as a dying man to dying men. We need to share the gospel of Christ as dying people with other dying people. Because this is all the time we have left on this earth. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Wrapping it up in Isaiah 40, uh, what I read earlier. It talks about, um, excuse me, let me me not get ahead of myself. In uh, John the Baptist, he talked about people will see the salvation of their God. Now, if you'll remember from earlier when I read from Isaiah, it was a little bit different, a little bit different. It says, Isaiah 40, verse 5, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. So, again, picture this whole dynamic. Picture this whole dynamic. Uh, The king's going to come to a village. He's going to send out a messenger. You've got one job. Go do that job. Go make this announcement. And so this messenger goes to the village and says, Hey, everybody, 
The king is coming. You better get everything in order. You better prepare the way. You better make paths straight. Get everything prepared because the king is coming. The king is coming. And so they begin to get everything right. And part of that would be etching out a space where the people of the village could go out. Sometimes if you watch some of these ancient movies, you'll see something like this. Anytime a king comes to visit a village, the people would go out and they would like, kind of like a parade, they would meet the king outside the gates of the city. And everybody wants to get there because this this isn't a normal Tuesday, okay? Normally in the ancient world, they didn't have TV to watch the president or the king 24-7 and see what was going on, okay? So they probably didn't even know what he looked like. So here's your opportunity. Go out and see the spectacle, see the glory of the king entering in to the town, who, by the way, is for them, in their minds, their salvation, Isaiah says, let's go out and let's see. John the Baptist said, we're going to see the salvation of our God. Isaiah said, we're going to see the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. Folks, if I could invite you to do something today, it's hear this message. The king is here. The kingdom of heaven is near. Set your lives in order. Reorder your lives. Get ready for the coming of the king. He's come once. We have this gospel message. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. God raised him from the dead. But listen to this. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he is interceding for his people right now. And one day, we do not know the day or the hour, one day the king is coming. So, repent Get yourselves in order because when the king comes, those who are his children are going to go out and we're going to meet him and we're going to see the glory of the Lord. That's what this life is about. We're being prepared and we're preparing others for that day. My question is if he were to rend the heavens today and come down, would you be ready? Now some of you, if, if I said, hey, right after church, hey, would it be okay if I came over to your house right now to eat dinner? Okay. I might just try this out sometime. No. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> some of you, some of you be like, come on, brother. Love that. Would love. Some of you be scared to death, right? Because who knows what we're going to find when we open the door of your house, right? What if Jesus knocked on the door today and said, I'm coming? Would your house be in order? Would you be ready? Would that be the scariest thing that you've ever heard, that the king is coming? Some in this room are like, yes, please come, Lord Jesus. Some that would scare you to death. Are you ready? If not, today I invite you to become a follower of Jesus. I invite you to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We don't know the day or the hour. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Gracious Father, I pray if there's someone here today who doesn't know Christ, that Today, Lord, that they would humble themselves before you, they'd repent, and they would trust in the gospel of Jesus. We know the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. So I I pray, Lord, that every person here could say that they're a believer. Not just like some who want to go out and go through the motions of baptism like in the days of John the Baptist, but, Father, people who have actually repented of their sins and trusted in Christ. If there's someone here today, Father, I pray that you draw them. They would receive Christ as Savior and Lord.
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. The altar is open. However you want to respond this morning, I encourage you to respond.